Can you put the focus on the uh, slides so I can? There we go. Thank you. All right. We're all set. Christmas is, Christmas is coming. So what best way to celebrate Christmas by talking about the Antichrist? The Antichrist. What is the Antichrist? What does that name mean? Anti, you guys are probably familiar with that. It can mean against, right? Or the enemy of. So Antichrist is the enemy of Christ. In the Bible, we also learn that the Antichrist typically is a figure that shows up in the end time. And one of his main goal is to replace Jesus, to replace Christ in disciples' lives. So the Antichrist is someone who is Jesus' enemy, who wishes to replace Jesus in our lives. We're talking about Antichrist today because he showed up in Daniel. Why are we talking about Antichrist in the book of Daniel? Uh, Pastor Jeremy finished with uh, chapter 10 a couple of weeks ago, and now we're in chapter 11. That's why we're talking about Antichrist. Something very interesting about Daniel chapter 11. He has some very specific prophecy about the future at the time of Daniel's writing. So specific that when people read it, some Bible critic believed that it was written after the event that had taken place, just because it was so clear, right? Everything just played out. I won't go through the first 35 verses. I encourage everyone to read uh, the whole book and the whole chapter so that you know what's going on and you know what the Bible critics are saying. But here's the part where they neglect to mention the Bible critics. I mean, verses 36 to 45, right after the first 35 uh, verses, no one knew who that person is the Bible was talking about. They can't really map that part of the prophecy to anyone we knew in history, in time. So here begs the question, if the scripture, if Daniel chapter 11 was written after the fact, wouldn't verses uh, 36 to 45 be more clear then? Would Daniel or whoever wrote that part of the Bible have mapped to certain person or events in history because it was written afterwards? This is why a lot of scholars in the last 2,000 years, when they read the first 35 verses, yeah, we know exactly what's happening. This is great. We can map the kings, we can map the events, the countries, and everything that was really clear. We feel like a scholar. Everyone can do that, right? Just go to a, do a Google search. You'll get a lot of resources on that. But most scholars, they feel like this when they read this part of the Bible, right? What is happening here? What is going on? What's really happening here is because it's referring to the end time, a person who is known as the Antichrist. What else do we know about the Antichrist? The Bible talked about this person quite a lot, especially in 1 John and in the book of Revelation. Here are some things I put in bullet points. You can read that. 
I do want to call out the first, the second one and third one. First of all, this person does not acknowledge Jesus. And yet, at the same time, this person denied that Jesus came in the flesh. If you, does, if you don't acknowledge someone exists, how can you acknowledge someone? How can you deny that something that someone doesn't exist did? Does that make sense? The logic just doesn't work. If, if, for, for example, if the cake doesn't exist, how can you complain that the cake make me fat? If he doesn't believe Jesus exists, how can you deny that Jesus came in the flesh? So this Antichrist, not only was he the enemy of Jesus, who wishes to replace Jesus, he doesn't even make sense. His logic doesn't make sense. By the way, all these, I even have the links. I copy-pasted everything from the internet on this page, okay? And they copy, and of course, I verified in the Bible. Speaking of which, do you know something very interesting? Ben and I were just talking about artificial intelligence on Friday. I went to one uh, artificial intelligence website, and uh, how do I preach the Antichrist? And came up with some, uh, some points. It's funny, but I didn't use any of that, just FYI. Yeah. I already prepared my sermon before uh, I rely on AI. Antichrist, Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to 45. Let me just read from uh, NIV, follow along if you like, or uh, um, read through in your own translation. The king who do as he pleases, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god. This is the, the verse that we just read. And will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the end of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will succeed. He will exalt himself. And he will have limited success until the end. Uh, verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one des desired by women. Let me pause here for a little bit. What does it mean by the one desired by women? This is referring to the Old Testament. Every single Hebrew woman at that time wished that she were the mother of the Messiah. Okay, that's what most uh, scholars agreed on. So it's referring back, back to uh, Christ. He will have no regard for Christ. Instead of them, instead of those gods, he will honor a god of fortresses, which means the god of war, a god of um, uh, battle, a god unknown to his ancestors, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will dis distribute the land at a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle. We don't know who this king of the south uh, exactly is. And the king of the north, now it's referring back to the Antichrist, will storm out against him with chariots and with cavalry and with great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Now we're talking about the land of Israel. 
He will invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Eden, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and of all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and the Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. Wow. Verse 45. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. The Antichrist. It could be a person, if you believe the Bible was pretty clear. Whenever the Bible talks about the Antichrist, it uses the pronoun he. But instead of trying to guess who this person is, and by the way, people do throughout the generations, when I mention the Antichrist, you probably have some pictures and names in mind. Right? Uh, yeah, I won't go there. <laughs> you have names and people in your mind. But instead of that, let's look at what made the Antichrist the Antichrist. I mean, this person cannot be born one day and decided, I'm going to grow up and be the enemy of God. I'm going to grow up and become God. It doesn't happen. People come to be who they are through the decisions they make. According to multiple internet resources, on average, an American makes 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day. Both Cornell and a psychological website, an app called Noom, made two separate studies and both found that just when it comes to food alone, average American makes between 150 to 250 decisions, informed decisions about our meals. 35,000 uninformed, uninformed, subconscious and conscious decisions a day. And no one wakes up in the morning, especially, I hope, no one in this room, that when you wake up in the morning, and you say to yourself, today I decided I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do everything I want because that's exactly what the Antichrist did, according to this passage. Take a look at your Bible, verses 36 and 37. You can see on the slides too, or the blue, area, uh, the blue fonts. And the king shall do as he wills. That's the summary statement of the, the, the mindset, uh, mindset of the Antichrist. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you believe that someone was pointing a gun? Okay, they don't have a gun back then. Someone was holding a sword on this person's neck and forces him to do everything that you please? I don't think so. 
I think this person, whoever he is, or was, or will be, decided to do as he pleases. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself. Again, I do not believe that is forced or coerced. This person makes decisions based on whatever he wants to. Self-centered decisions. He will pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other gods for that speaks of purpose and intention, for he shall magnify himself above all. Who has today, since you wake up in the morning, decided you want to magnify yourself above all? Hey, don't, don't raise your hand. Even if you did, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. <laughs> but how many have you decided to do something that you want at the expense of others? Maybe when your parents or your family ask you, what do you, have, what do you want to have for breakfast? You pick what you want over something you know your family would like. Do you know self-centeredness and egocentrism starts with little decisions like that? I want to do what I want today instead of for, for someone else. I've heard it say once before, the acronym for joy, J-O-Y, is Jesus others, and then you. You are at the end. I am, it doesn't even know I, there's no me in joy, okay? Jesus, others, and you. We may not know who this Antichrist is in our lifetime, but you bet we can do our best not to have the mindset of the Antichrist in our hearts. starting with making little decisions for other people and not for ourselves. We may not know who this Antichrist is ever, but we can protect our hearts and our minds against something that may Antichrist who he is by start thinking about other people instead of ourselves. Second thing, how the Antichrist came to be by resorting to violent and heartless decisions. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 11. First, in verse 38, he shall honor the God of fortresses. He gets to pick anyone he wants to worship. He, we already know, he does whatever he wants to. He picked the God of war the God of fortresses, to be his God. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of the foreign gods and all the battles, and you can see that. When he was attacked, his response is to counterattack. Bless you. Now, anyone here command armies 
anyone here uh, have a say in the armies, the forces? Okay, good, because uh, I didn't prepare any applications around that. <laughs> what I have prepared instead is how to make our heart not resort to violence. What if someone says something or do something to us? How do we respond in a way different from the Antichrist? The high school and middle school Sunday school recently went through Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was gathering his kingdom, right? Remember, uh, I, we talked about this with uh, the middle school. Uh, Jesus started Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. In chapter 4, right before Sermon on the Mount, he was gathering the disciples and he told them, the kingdom of God is at hand. So you guys come here. I'm starting a new country. I'm starting a new nation. Come follow me if you want to be one of the, uh, the founding members of this new nation, of this new kingdom. Thousands follow him. And so are you guys ready? I'm going to lay down the law of the land. This is how the new kingdom works. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is how the new kingdom works. And this is the one you signed up for when you choose to believe in Jesus. But what if when someone do something, what happens when we get into a difficult situation where we have to defend ourselves? Psychologists have found different ways, have, have seen different ways people respond, the knee-jerk reactions. When we get put in a difficult situation, one of the first things we forget to do is breathing. And what happens when you hold your breath? Oxygen doesn't get into your brain. When oxygen doesn't get to your brain, we typically have three responses. Freeze, flight, or fight. OF words, okay? Freeze, flight, and fight. So first thing you do is to remember, is to breathe. Three second pause. You are under attack. It's okay. There's a volcano going on inside. It's okay. Just breathe. Give your brain some oxygen to formulate a response. Fight was my default mode as Emily. She's not me. <laughs> you're, you're nodding a little too uh, uh, passionately there. In my early 20s, when I was younger, fight back, counterattack. I totally get this person. I would totally counterattack. And I have good counterattacks. Okay. But now I got older. And I learned that's a fourth way to respond. Do you guys want to know what that is? Can I share that with you? Is that okay? It's not an F word. Okay. But it sounds like an F word. So please bear with me. Uh, uh, Nico is laughing because I taught him that this morning. 
the fourth way to respond to people who's attacking you, giving you a hard time, is to vock them. Okay? Vock. With a V, not an F. Okay? You guys hear that? Okay, don't, don't go home, tell your parents, my church elder told me to vock people. Okay? Vock. V-U-C-S. What does that stand for? Validate, understand, <laughs> clarify, and summarize. This is not this is not mine, by the way. I'm not that smart. This is written by an attorney, mediator, uh, H.R. Abrams. Bakum. Okay, so now you will remember. I I think that that's something that I don't think you guys will forget. What does that mean? When someone is saying something uh, that might sounds like a personal attack, and then you do the three second pause, you breathe, and you take a breath, just validate their emotions. I hear this is what you're saying. Are you feeling frustrated? And then you summarize the words back to them. And according to H.R. Abrams, 50% of the time, the problem just went away. You don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to counterattack. You don't need to explain your decisions. Because to her experience, 50% of the time, that person simply wanted to be heard. And once they are heard, they're good. That, that, that's it. You don't need to do anything more. Just use the words back to them. I hear you, and did I get it right? And they say yes. And that's that. That's done. And sometimes you use uh, understanding and clarifying just to get more out of the situation to go from an abstract concept to a concrete one. I didn't know that before. My default mode used to be fight, right? Not bottom. And it works. I use that work. Sometimes I use it at home. <laughs> and it works. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a coworker who had a huge problem with the proposal that I bring to the table to bring some um, uh, new way of doing things at work. And he went on and on and on and tell me how, why this will not work, how my proposal could be a problem for the company in the future. Right? Guess what I did? I mocked him. I told him, yes. <laughs> Oh, no, I know you guys are listening because you're laughing. I told him, I hear you. I got it. Let me write down the problem that you just described in the note section. So when we comes down to it, we know we, talk, we thought about it. And that was it. And he's good. We, don't have to, we didn't have to fight. We didn't have to get into arguments. He just wanted to be heard. And he just wanted to, to see that, okay, not only did I hear him, I wrote down his ideas in the notes section. It's not even in the main document, in the notes section. That's it, in the comments. And he's good. And then this went on a few times, and now he knows. He, he saw where I'm coming from, what problem I'm trying to solve. And guess what? He helps me now 
to push the changes at his team. I, I didn't do anything more. That's all I did. Okay? So when you guys go home tonight, okay, you know what to do. I'm not going to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we don't need to resort to violent means. I'm not talking to a bunch of antichrists today. You guys don't comment armies. You may think that this passage does not reply, but I think it does. Little decisions that we make, the things we tell ourselves to do, makes all the difference. We may not be antichrist to the world, but we better learn not to be antichrist in our own heart. We better learn not to replace Christ and not to be the en enemy of Christ in our own heart. Third thing, how, how antichrist came to be by making decisions that manipulate others, by treating human relationships as a tool, but not as something valuable. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 11, verse 39. Those who acknowledge him, he shall love with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. What was his criteria for honoring and rewarding people? If you agree with me, if you fight with me, doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, as long as you agree with me, I'll give you what you want. I give you money, I give you land, whatever you want, as long as you agree with me. But what happens at the end? Did you guys catch that? When he's in trouble, he's alone. He had no allies. He had no friends. This person has no principle. Or should I say, his principle is him, himself. He replaced God. He replaced um, he wants to be God to others. Okay, and he's using human relationships as a tool rather than something to treasure, to value. And that's so different from what we do and what we were taught. Where's the gospel? In today's passage. How can we make the changes we need, to, we need to do? First of all, something we need to know. Doesn't matter if, who you think you are. Like, I mean, um, it doesn't matter if you think you're the logical type or the emotional type. Everybody does this. We make decisions based on emotions and we justify our decisions with logic. I don't know if you heard that before. It's really true. Even the most logical person my, as long as you're not a Vulcan, you make decisions based on emotions and justify them with logic. So both your heart and your mind are involved. How can we take control of our mind and our heart? Colossians chapter three, the one that we just read. I don't know if you guys know this. God knows psychology. God knows how our mind and our emotion works. 
Let me read this again. I want to, let's see if you guys catch this. Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, sitting on the right hand of God. And set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When I read this passage, I thought three versions of you. There's the blue you, the logical you, the one that justifies your decision. And then there's the red you, your heart, your emotions. But when Paul wrote this, he's talking to a third you, a deeper, a spiritual you, the you that can control your emotions, the you that can control your logics with the help of the Holy Spirit. That deeper you, the Bible is the one that Holy Spirit is talking with. If you have a ESV, you may not have a your heart um, in, in the translation, but the original Greek is set your desire. Okay? Desire the things above. Again, emotions. Think about that a little bit. Next time when you're about to make a decision, don't be pulled over by the emotional you. And when you're trying to justify that decision, don't be pulled by the logical side of you. There's a deeper you that we surrender both minds and emotions to God and make decisions coming from above. Scrooge, we watched this uh, movie a couple of weeks ago. You guys know the story, right? Scrooge was this mean person who's got a lot of money, a lot of resources, but really reluctant to share. He had three versions, uh, three visions uh, on Christmas Eve. Remember why he had the first vision? He saw his past. Through the little decisions, before he became the Scrooge that he was, he made little decisions. I'm going to choose money over people. I'm going to choose work over my wife. I'm going to choose wealth over the health of my employees. It's not like in one shot, he decided to be a selfish, mean person overnight. Decisions were made little by little over time. In second vision, he saw what his, decision, what his uh, decisions do to Tiny Tim. Is that the kid's name? Tiny Tim? Like, big deal. Poor people, they should help themselves. Got nothing to do with me. Got nothing to do with my decisions. And then the last vision, vision of the future. He saw how his past decisions led to the death of Tiny Tim and how 
Everybody celebrates when he died. He was alone. He had all the wealth. He had things he wanted. People celebrate when he died. He had no friends. He didn't become the Scrooge from day one. I, I bet that's not the kind of person he wants to be when he was born. But through the decisions he made, he became that. He woke up from uh, the visions and decided to make a change to his life. And you guys know how the story ends, right? If not, watch the, watch the movie. I, I know I gave away all the spoilers, but I assume you guys all know the stories, right? So I'm just using it. And I pray for everyone here this morning is, let's make, start making those changes today. Let his story be a wake-up call for all of us. And whether you agree with me or not, that's okay. We saw how, what, anti, what the Antichrist did. I still don't believe that person was born deciding he wanted to be the enemy of God. But through the decisions that he made, he became that. So next time, when you're about to make a decision, give your logic and give your uh, emotions to God and pray for a decision that doesn't lift you up as the uh, God of your life. Okay.